0: All right, you can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. The title of the message today is The Real Answer to the World's Problems. Again, it is The Real Answer to the World's Problems. The president of our seminary, the seminary that we hold here in our church Uh, His name is Stephen Davey. He's also a pastor. He's a a writer. Um, Just a very multi-talented, gifted man of God. Wrote a small book that he titled, I Pledge Allegiance. He says this in the opening of this book. He says, Imagine if homosexuality was illegal. Abortion was outlawed. Sexual relations outside of marriage were unacceptable. Prayer was back in the classroom and the Ten Commandments were rehung in the courtrooms. Would more people be going to heaven? Would the mission of the church be accomplished? Suppose we could turn the clock back to the good old days with shared boundaries of morality, a basic respect for God, a common belief in absolute truth, an embarrassment over adultery, back when uh, sexual acts of aberrations were kept in the closet. Would we then breathe a sigh of relief? He goes on and says, let's not stop there. What if we had our way in Washington, D.C.? What if evangelical counsel was the only council accepted? Every piece of legislation we cared about passed in our favor. Would we, Christians, wipe the sweat off of our brow? He goes on in his book to write, and I agree with him heavily that sadly, I think many Christians today would say, yes, we would wipe the sweat off our brow. However, Paul's answer here in Ephesians 3 is absolutely no. There is no political stance, no amount of government, no amount of reform, and certainly no law can cross culturally unify the brokenness of the human heart. Let's take a look at Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. To build just a little context here in Ephesians, Paul is writing this letter while he is unjustly in prison. Twice he prays in this book, first in In chapter 1, he prays for the church to know the hope of their calling and that we would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. That same power, he goes on to say, that raised Christ from the dead. Paul's prayer, first and foremost, is that we would know that power, that we wouldn't just be Christians by name or title, but there would be an existing real power inside of us the power to change. And second, it's this this prayer that we're going to look at today in chapter 3. He prays that we would ultimately know the love of Christ, which surpasses surpasses knowledge, that we would experience Christ's love, which goes beyond just knowing about him. Although Paul could be concerned with the persecution of the church, and in other places maybe he is, but... uh, um, And he could also be concerned with the wrongful treatment as a Roman citizen, as he sits in prison. He is not. His his concern is uh, to encourage the church to know the love of Christ. Take a look at verses 14 and 15. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have the New King James, that's there anyway. From the whole family in heaven from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Paul says it's for this reason. The context here, I I like to think here, I I, I don't know how many of you guys have seen Dr. Bookman when he comes to speak or have listened to him, but um, I love John Hutch's explanation of of, uh, Mr. Bookman, and it's like a thousand monkeys running for the microphone all at one time, and it's kind of interesting to see who's going to get it first, right? And so, but... Honestly, if you learn to listen to Dr. Bookman, you'll find that he brings that back around, right? Does he not? He ties it in. And I I think Paul is much like that, right? You see in Ephesians, the whole chapter 1 is a single sentence, right? He's just on and on and on. He builds and builds and builds and then comes back around. Well, Paul is coming back around here, and for this reason, if you look over at the very beginning of chapter 3, Paul starts this thought for this reason, Uh, There in chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, and if you'll skip down to 6, he finally gets around to what he's saying, and he says this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So it is for this reason that Paul prays that the whole world has been unified in one spirit unto God. The answers to this world's problem are not parliament, they are not uh, politics, they are not whether the left or the right sits in Congress or is, or is the head of the White House, but that Christ alone, living on the inside of a human being, can change them from the inside out. Paul is saying there is no racial tension, no gender tension. We are all one in Christ. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented both in the kingdom of heaven. And this kingdom that is on earth. It is multi- multicultural, multigender. It is for this reason Paul is praying. He says, There, I bow my knees. The real answer to the world's problem starts with humbling oneself to God. Proverbs 1:7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, what is the beginning? Wisdom. Sometimes we go to that and we think about that mysteriously and we try to figure out what is going on there that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. But not don't forget, it's the beginning, right? It's the beginning. It's where we see and we rightly understand that God is not a human, right? He is a spirit, only titled He, and that He is headship, right? He is not male, He is not female. God uh Uh, is utterly otherly, right? He is holy. He is not like us. He spoke, and the worlds came into existence. Proverbs 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's where we start. Our knowledge, our wisdom. So the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Our, Our world has no fear of God, or it wouldn't do the things that it does. Is it not true of even your life? Right? When we fall into sin or we choose to sin, what have we done? <laughs> we have forgotten this very first principle, that God is God. And although we may forget why we do the things that we do, God has not forgotten. He will judge justly. Nothing is hidden. Jesus said it this way, that all sin right, will be shouted from the housetops. There is no hiding. There are no closets. There are no getting away. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what is the fullness of this wisdom? Take a look at chapter 3 there in Ephesians, verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. It says this, that God who created all things through Jesus Christ, in the latter part of 9 there, God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom, or that's the fullness of wisdom of God, that is Christ, right? The manifold wisdom of God is Christ Jesus, the fullness of it, right? Um, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, or by the church, excuse me, that it might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So Paul says, right, though the beginning of of wisdom is fearing God, right? The end of it is what? The fullness of it is Jesus Christ. Yes, we should have a fear, but the fullness of God's wisdom, the fullness of God's love, the fullness of all of who God is, is wrapped up in the person, in wisdom, in Jesus Christ. So Paul understands that every human will be resurrected for the judgment And he quotes Isaiah 45, 23 in Philippians, and he says this, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, believers and beloved, Romans says that all men died in Adam, and all men will live in Christ. When the trumpet sounds, Christ is going to call up every human being out of the dust of this earth and all men and women will live. They will be separated, some to eternity, separated from God and others separated to eternity to live and dwell with him. Paul understands that at at the end of the age, Christ will call up at his word, like he spoke the worlds into existence. He is going to call up all of humanity, and he will justly judge. He will justly do it. So the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, the end, or the fullness of it, will be who? Jesus Christ. So the real answer to the world's problem starts with humbling oneself to God. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees to the Father, from whom the whole Family in heaven and earth is named. From whom the whole family in he- on heaven and earth is named. Who is Christ, Who is Paul bowing his knees to? To the Father. How can he do that? Although maybe a, a small and insignificant uh, thing, and we kind of blow by this, who do we pray to? Who, who do we have access to? Is it not the Father? Is it not the, the source of life? In Ephesians there, if you just take a look at chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, um, how do we have this access to the Father? As sinful, separated, broken humanity, where do we access? How do we access the Father? It says there in verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you, that is the Gentiles, who were far away, and peace to those who were near, that were the, those were the Jews. For through him, that is Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. And again, in Ephesians 3, 11 and 12, hop down there. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. What is God doing through Paul in this prayer? He is pointing out that uh, that that we need the fear and the wisdom and knowledge of God, that God has, in Christ, brought all people unto himself. He is himself the access. Last week we talked about Ephesians 6 and how Satan forever stands accusing you of the truth, and that is that you are a sinner and you deserve to die and go to hell. But Christ stands for those of us who are redeemed, and what does he say? I have paid for that one. Christ is the one who stands between our sin and and God the Father's holiness. And it is through him that we have access to the Father. Saints, it is nothing short of shocking that at any time and at any place we can access the God of all creation. Just ponder that for a second. So why did Paul bend the knee to the Father? Verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Notice that it is he, God, that does the granting according to his riches, uh, for his glory. God is not poor. He gives us what we need to glorify him. What is it that the Father gives us? It says that he gives us the spirit in where? Our inner man. Now, this is an amazing thing, believer. Just think for just a second. We take this for granted that God's spirit has come down. If you are truly born again, that is the agent of which you have been born again, that his very spirit lives inside of you. God sealed you, it says in Ephesians 4.30. He marked you with his spirit. So what is it that he gives us? It's his spirit in the inner man. Now, track with me for a little bit. Let me test your Old Testament knowledge here. But in the Old Testament, uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, the ark is being transitioned from the tabernacle that is was in the city of David at the time, which is just south, a uh, little bit east of of now where you would know the Dome of the Rock or the Temple Mount to be. So it's being transitioned there from where David had it uh, to the temple in Jerusalem. The question that Solomon has is revealed in 1 Kings 8:27. It says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. It was unthinkable to Solomon that God would dwell on the earth. Later, after hundreds of years of disobedience, Ezekiel records the glory cow departing from the temple. Where does he leave from? The Mount of Olives. Interesting. Where does Jesus come in In uh, Hosanna is sung? From the Mount of Olives. Where does Jesus go back? He goes back to the Mount of Olives every day. Where does Jesus ascend in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? From the Mount of Olives. What does Zechariah say that... That will happen in the end times when Christ descends out of the heavens. Where will his feet touch down? None other than the Mount of Olives will break open and the rivers will flow. The temple was rebuilt in 518, but guess what? Unlike 1 Kings 8, the presence of God never fell in that place. Leaving the reader of the Old Testament to wonder, will God ever dwell with man again? Paul's answer is absolutely clear, right? In First and Second Corinthians, you are the temple of God. Christ's spirit dwells inside of you. The idea here is, if you are poor, God has given you what you need. Christ on the inside. The world would say of you, how do you have such peace in your poverty? Now our answer is, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. If you are rich in here, God has given you what you need, Christ on the inside. The world should say of you, why are you so generous to people who do not deserve it? Our answer, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. If you are deathly ill in here, God has given you what you need, Christ on the inside. The world should say of you, how do you have such peace in your illness? Our answer, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. Listen, if you are strong and healthy in here, God has given you what you need. That is Christ on the inside. The world should say of you, Why do you spend your time serving in the church on Sunday or on a work day? Our answer this world is not our home. We are just passing through. So, verse 16 says, So that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man, that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's 17a, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It is Paul's prayer here that Christ would dwell in you through faith. Let me ask you here this morning, I, I don't know all of you, Uh, Many of you, for that matter, even some of you I do know and don't know where you stand exactly with Christ, but you know, does Christ dwell in your heart through faith? The real answer, Paul says, to the world's problems is regenerated hearts, Christ in the inner man. First, Paul's prayer is that you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Secondly, why would Paul bend the knee to the Father? Let's take a look. At the second half of verse 17, 18, and 19. 17b, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. First, Paul says here that while we are, or being rooted and grounded in love, the word there is agape. You've heard me speak of it often. I encourage you to do a word study yourself, and everywhere you find that word, scratch out the word love and write in the word agape, even though it is a, a transliterated word, just to help you get in your mind what is being said. It is self-sacrificial I have premeditated in my heart and mind that I will love when it is not deserved. That is agape, the love of God that he chose to love us even in our sinful condition. What is Paul saying the church should look like? What is Paul praying the church should look like? That you are rooted, that you are grounded in love, in agape, in self-sacrificial love to both the saints and to the world. Rooted is literally to be taken root, right? Stuck when the storm comes in life, right? The, the roots and, 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 a, and a huge hurricane may blow, but if the tree is rooted well, it might tear off the top. But because it is rooted, it will not come up. Grounded there is an interesting word. It literally means to lay a foundation. It's to go down, to dig down deep. Jesus speaks of this, right? In those in the end times when he will come back and call everybody up and that trouble hits the earth, that final judgment hits the earth, what is going to happen is he is going to say, did you build on the sand, or are you rooted and grounded on the rock that is Christ Jesus and him alone? What are we to be rooted and grounded in? Paul says, in love. In this context, it is the practical outworking of God's grace towards us. Here are just some examples that Agape grace or God's love is uh, um, expressed in this letter. Check this out. God has chosen you in chapter one. He has predestined you uh, to sainthood in chapter one. He has established you in the church and in the beloved. He calls you a son. God has redeemed you. God has you uh, has made you a heritage. He has sealed you with His Holy Spirit. He has made you alive. He has raised you and seated you now in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So Paul says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, uh, may be able to do what? Let's look there. It says, now that we're rooted, we're grounded in agape, verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice here with all the saints. Last week we talked about uh, the armor of God and what good would it do for one man to stand up here with armor. But yet the idea is the saints that we would stand together and there would be an impenetrable boundary of which the enemy, although we are called to stand, the enemy cannot penetrate, right? With our shield of faith and all, the, all of the equipment that we need to stand, right? Never on our own. We, we cannot do it on our own. Notice here, what does he say? With, that you would comprehend with who? All of the saints. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It's going to be the latter part of verse 15. Paul is going to say this just a few verses after we're done here today. He's going to say that uh, the church should, effectively, the church should grow up into all things, into him who is the head, that is Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint supplies, and according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body to the edifying of itself in love. Beloved, we're to stand together. Paul's hope is that you and I would be able to comprehend with all of the saints the agape of Christ, which is unthinkable to the human mind. One of my um, favorite scripture is, is clearly found in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. And Paul is calling us to understand this kind of love, to know this kind of love in verse 19. Understand that here, here, here if you take a look in verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Think about that for a second. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You can gain theological insight. You can become a cultural Christian. We don't struggle with that nearly as much here, but if you head down south, there are generations of people that go to church, and they just go to church because that's what they've done. They've been taught the Word. They probably know it better than I do, but yet the Spirit of God does not live and exist in their life. Yet they do not know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. The Old Testament, knowing, is what is in play here. It was an expression of physical intimacy. And, and Abraham knew his wife, Sarah, right? And Jacob knew his wife, Rebecca. The idea here is to know, right? To intimately be engaged with the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we see what kind of love this is. What kind of love should we be knowing? What kind of love should we be intimately, intimately engaged in? It says this in verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But listen here, verse 7, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, agape is laying aside your right to be the God of your own world. Agape is understanding that your neighbor is going to upset you, but we would forcefully and rightly uh, engage in uh, intimately engage in this idea that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves that we are to love the church as ourselves that we are to put others first that we are to pray for our enemies saints do you know this love are you intimately involved with walking out loving your neighbors yourself praying for those who persecute you and giving your enemy the glass of water Knowing that God might grant them repentance when they experience that kind of undeserved love. Verse 19 at the end says, That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Beloved, to be filled with all the fullness of God is this that you must know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That is the fullness of God. It's Paul's heart, his drive in this prayer is that that it goes beyond what you know although we should be gaining our knowledge, right, so we don't end up in wrong doctrine or right, wrong acting, um, we need to just as much be growing in this walk with Christ. In chapter 3 of this letter, Paul speaks of a mystery that was only just realized in the very first century of Christianity, and that is this. Paul says, uh, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles... If you indeed have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to me for you, that by revelation he made known to me. Now, chapter verse 4 there is kind of a parenthesis. It's a Paul's, uh, it's bookman Paul moment there, but he gets back to it in verse 5 and says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be what? Fellow heirs. That is all of us. The world shall be fellow heirs of the what? Same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The summation of this mystery of God is this, that God in Christ is marrying different races and ethnicities to be one in Christ, one in love, that the church may experience or actively love one another the way that Christ has loved us. This is the fullness of God, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. I started this sermon by quoting uh, Pastor Stephen Davery, author, uh, seminary president, and I'll bring it to close in a similar fashion. He says this, the church should learn from farmers who realize that you can bring a pig inside your house, give him a bath and put a bow around his neck and marvel at how good he smells. You can say, there now, Mr. Pig, this is the right way to live. And the pig will grunt back in agreement. But the minute you take that pig out for a walk and pass by a mud puddle, he is going to do a high dive right into the middle of it. Pastor Davey goes on to say, he says, what happened? He says, for starters, you clean the outside of the pig, but not the inside. You changed his environment, but not his nature. You brought him into your home, but you did not change his heart. So the real answer to the world's problems is not right, is not right laws. It is not right and left politics. It is not getting the city and the world to look the way you want it to look, but what? That would be cleaning things up on the outside, would it not? Our concern as believers should be one thing and one thing only, that we would represent Christ, represent him to the world. That Christ on the inside of you would change you from the inside out. That he would bring all nations together, all peoples together So the real answer to the world's problem is found here in Paul's prayer. It's first that you being strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Oh, church, I pray that that's where you find your strength. You will run out of strength. Our nature, is it not, is to lean on our own strength, our own understanding. I pray that you would be strengthened with might. In the inner man. Second, that you might know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, both that we would know people well, that we would love people well, and we would also experience God's love in our private times with Him as we walk through Him in a prayer closet, that we are strengthened there. Paul has already written in chapter two of this letter that there are really only two types of people in this world those who are dead in their sin and trespasses, and those who have the life of Christ living on the inside of them. Which one are you today? You can be a cultural Christian and sit in here and be probably comfortable. You may know more of the Bible than I know. But what I know is that the life of Christ lives on the inside of me. This last week, we had a membership class and there is a uh, lady there Who has recently been saved, and um, I just am in amazement and honestly, even a little bit jealous to, to watch how this new life is expressing itself in her life. It's amazing to me. It brings tears to my eyes to see the reality of a changed life. Is that you today? Are you just playing church? Are you just passing through? you can cry out to God and he will give you his spirit and you will not be like the pig who got washed up on the outside, but a new person, a new man from the inn. Well, there's no way, better way to close this text than with Paul's own doxology. Let's read it in verses 20 and 21. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power which works in us. To him be the glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that uh, it is you who does this work. Lord, I pray that you would help us, the church, uh, be singly focused, Lord, on loving each other and loving this world in a way that they do not deserve. Lord, I pray that you give us the grace to abide in you, to love you, Lord, to walk with you, Lord. And Lord, thank you for folks who you are giving new life and new birth, Lord, and it comes up out of them like a spring of water. God, thank you for that encouragement. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we have access to you. I pray that your saints are encouraged today. In Jesus' name, amen.